Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. There's a new podcast app that delivers chilling true crime stories straight to your mobile device. Every day they release a new episode that investigate the gruesome true acts of America's worst serial killers. And you can explore into the minds of psychopaths and murderers. To get started, find and download Murder Minute from the App Store or visit MurderMinute.com. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-M-I-N-U-T-E.com to get your daily dose of true crime creepiness delivered straight to your mobile device. It's a good show. Check one, check two, say something. Hi, hi, hi. How's it going? Hey, happy day. Hey, folks, that's Lynn Shelton, my friend. I finally have another guest. (laughs) It's been, you don't know this, you probably haven't even heard this podcast, but (laughs) I have not had a guest on. I've been, the last probably three weeks have been me just reading listener emails. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) And talking about my own bullshit allergy. Also, I am convinced now that I'm allergic to something in my apartment because the past three weeks I've been doing episodes just sitting on my couch on this recorder and microphone and um, I wake up feeling okay. And within like 10 minutes of me talking, all of a sudden my nose is running. I can't stop sneezing. I'm sniffling. And it's like clockwork and I'm sitting here in your loft and I'm totally fine in fact Sunday I was supposed to go hang out with my friend Dave and I was like you know what dude I don't think this is allergies I think I'm I'm sick I just gave into the fact that I was sick because I had like a 20 minute sneezing fit when I woke up Sunday it was just like hard guttural sneezes to where like my neck hurt from tensing up so bad from these sneezes. And um, and then I was like, yeah, we were going to hang out that night. And I was like, yeah, I can't. I'm sick. And it also made sense because I've been working so much all summer on, you know, this new show. And then also now Superstore. So I've like had overlapping shoots where summer at night and summer at day. So they're like... When it's the same show, you have to have a split where you have at least 12 hours to recuperate. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're going from one show that's shooting a 5 a.m. call time to 7 p.m. And then the next show you're shooting from like 6 p.m. to like 3 in the morning. Well, even even I mean, you can still get sick on the same show. I I, I remember the. The probably the worst time I ever. I've only been sick twice on shoots. One was the last time I did uh, Judd's show Love um, on Netflix. But before that, I made a movie called Laggies, and we would start the week with these brutal early call times of like 5 a.m. because we were in some mall and it was the only time we could get into the shopping mall. And then by the end, we we're doing all nighters at the end of the week, uh, yeah. and my body was just like, no. 
what the fuck? You can't do this to me. And I got so, so sick by like, you know, the middle of the shoot of a four week shoot. It was just. I never get sick in shoots, which is why this made sense to me. Uh, I had like a week off of uh, American Princess and also didn't have an episode of Superstore. So I was like, oh, I have like a week and a half off. And that's when kind of when all this started. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. I've been working so hard and just fighting through it. And now that my body has a chance to rest, I'm sick. And then uh, so I canceled my plan Sunday. Monday, which was two days ago, I woke up and felt amazing. I was like, oh, it is definitely allergies. Yeah. And I, I downloaded an app. I, I now have an app. <laughs> For what? An allergy app? Yes. Check this shit out. It's called Allergy Alert, and it gives you the pollen count. And it, uh, I have, yeah, we're at six point, we're at medium right now, 6.6, which it says if you're, uh, you know, a seasonal allergy sufferer, you will probably notice it, Hmm. which I am. Interesting. Tomorrow it's supposed to be 9.2, bad allergy day. I'm probably going to have a rough day tomorrow, folks. But you think you're, you're actual apartment like there's some dust mate in there or mold so. or something i'm afraid of black mold uh-huh i don't know why <laughs> well it's i think it's a healthy fear but like i don't, <laughs> I don't think you're the only it's one it's a small apartment and i have seen no proof right. of mold maybe you have invisible black mold anyway um i'm sorry but all yeah, the more reason I, to look for a new place i guess and i think i've also developed this is something I ba- I've barely touched on, I think, on this podcast, but I think I've developed and I refuse to address it because I'm in denial, but I think I now have uh, asthma because of it. Like earlier today, I was wheezing a little bit. My I went to a general practitioner and they gave me an inhaler. She's like, you might have asthma. Try this whenever you have wheezing. And it does work, but I never use it because I want, I'm just like... I don't have asthma. Because like you don't mo- want to be that And it's the weirdest shit that starts it too. Like I will, like this morning, brushing my teeth and I have a really horrible gag reflex. This, and I always brush my tongue, you know, because you got to brush your tongue. And whenever I brush my tongue, it's just like, what? Do you, do you have to brush? I have never brushed my tongue. Oh, you should brush your tongue. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. And gag myself and then and I brush bring it, an asthma attack. And then I'll gag. And for some reason, when I gag, that I get... Instigates I, it? I start wheezing. Wow. Well, it's probably good you have the inhaler just in case you really get a bad one. Because oh, yeah, I carry that could save your me. freaking life, right? Every, I so. carry it everywhere just in case. Good. In fact, when I did... Uh, I did a comedy festival. I did talk about this. I did a comedy festival in Telluride, Colorado in February. And um, I and Telluride is like probably nine no. or 10,000 feet. Oxygen, it's really yeah. high. And so I was really noticing lung issues. And then like the second or third day I was there, I got in the gondola. The gondola? Gondola. The gondola. And I rode it to the top of the mountain because I wanted to get some cool photographs. And that's like another thousand feet. Oh, God. And as I was going up and I was in this gondola with like six strangers, as I start going up, I just start hearing. Oh, God, Steve. (laughs) 
And it was coming from you. It was coming from me. And I was like, what the fuck? This is causing, the altitude is causing me to wheeze. And luckily, I had put this in my jacket pocket. Thank God. And I, uh, you know, did a couple inhales. And it was the first time I had actually tried it. Mm. I'd had it for like six months. And I was like, because I'm, I'm afraid to take medicines and stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is like a steroid. I don't want to take this. And I took it and within like 10 seconds. I was breathing oh, great. Oh, God. Well, that's good. You know, you have it for emergency. So I know anyway. it works now. And, yeah. um, you know, when I did see that general practitioner, she gave me a referral to see a, what's it, what's a lung doctor? Pul, pul, pulmonary? Pulmonary physician. Specialist. Yeah. A lung doctor. <laughs> what's a lung doctor? Um, and I've never followed up on it because I'm like. Oh, you've never seen him? I haven't seen him, but I, I got to do that. I, every yeah. now and then I see it up on my cork board. I'm like. It'd probably be. I got to call this guy. Yeah. That would be good. Uh, but I know Lynn, um, we met on New Girl. Mm-hmm. You directed me on my second episode of New Girl, which was my biggest episode but still to this day. It was like outside Dave. It's the first time outside Dave went inside. That's right. Very exciting. <laughs> and, um, that was a super fun episode. That was that was a great episode. That episode was like one of the first acting gigs, I think, also for Ron Funches. Yes, it was. I know. He would he was pretty fresh new to town. And Lots I don't think guy. I've ever talked about this with you, but Brian Stack is in it. Yes. He played the motorcycle cop. Wait, was that the same episode? Yeah. Really? I love Brian. Yeah, all three of you guys. And that's the episode where that's right, it was he knocked the uh, police motorcycle yes. over on accident on and accident. you left it in the episode. <laughs> yes. There's this episode amazing. where Zoe and um, uh, Jake are going on their first date. And first real date. Max yeah. and Lamore want, want to break it up. So they, they try hiring me to go do it, <laughs> but I'm too insane. So he locks himself in the bathroom. <laughs> yes. And I always, the thing I always remember whenever I remember working with you is you shaving um, Max's, Max's legs. legs. Yeah, yeah. He's hanging from the skylight and I'm <laughs> shaving his legs. But it was so funny. I saw Brian, I think on a changeover, like he was leaving and I was going in and he was so, he's like the nicest guy in the world. So nice. Brian Stack used to be a writer for Conan O'Brien for years and now Colbert. You see him Colbert. on Colbert all the time. It's really wonderful to see yeah. him there. And, um, but he really is the nicest guy and he felt so bad. He's like, oh, he's like, I really fucked up. He goes, I'm playing a motorcycle cop. I don't have to ride a motorcycle. I can't ride a motorcycle, but it just, the scene starts with me getting off my motorcycle <laughs> And he goes, I knocked it over. And it's like a expensive <laughs> motorcycle. Expensive motorcycle. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I wish I could have seen that. And then you actually left it in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't, up, you know, it's not as the director. It's not up to me what ends up in the episode. Ultimately, you get your director's cut. And then, you know, there are plenty of takes where he did it's not so kn- knock over the motorcycle. If you want to look at that and episode, I think it's called First Date. It's or called something. First Date. It's like yeah. season two. Probably. Yeah. Season two. Yeah. That, um, was, that was a really fun one. <laughs> and it's also, you know, that was also the episode that well, that was a seminal episode. That was the episode where Chelsea Crisp got, um, she got hired to do this part that was literally she had one line that she said again and again as I recall it was like hi I'm Brandy and she was supposed to be like this dumb blonde date 
um, for uh, Zoe's ex. Oh, yeah, yeah. They ran into Dermot. Dermot Mulroney. D- D- Dermot and Mulroney, yeah. She, I, <laughs> she ended up being brilliant. I mean, she was brilliant. Yeah. And she kept, they, we would do these like little runs of improv because she's this improv queen. She's just this brilliant comic actress. Yeah. And she was hysterical. And we were all, she just had us in stitches. And so I, when I got a chance to um, direct the pilot of Fresh Off the Boat, and we were looking for, uh, there was a particular role that she would have been perfect for along with, you know, there was a whole other lineup of people that they wanted to bring in. And I was like, you have to bring this woman in. She is a yeah, genius. Yeah. And she got the part and she's like become a huge, oh, huge shit. part on that. Yeah. On that. And I'm, it's one of my <laughs> the thing I'm most proud of. One of my contributions to that show that I'm most proud of is getting, making sure that. Yeah, you never know she had when a chance, and she killed it. So you yeah. never know when that's gonna. That happened yeah. with, with me and uh, New Girl. Like my friend Fred <laughs> brought me in for that first episode that I did because it was just a real. It was one line, me sleeping on the hood of Zoe's car, and he was like, "Oh, we should have Steve play the homeless guy." And Aaron O'Malley, who was the executive producer on that show, I've known for years because she was the executive executive producer on of the Silverman, Sarah, right? Sarah yeah. Silverman show. Uh-huh. So I've worked with her a ton, and she was like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. And then uh, it just became a recurring part, and, uh, yeah, we were shooting that first episode, and Zoe kept laughing. She's like, we got to have this guy come back. Oh, it's great. I was like, yeah, yeah, we we got to do that. That's awesome. Um, but I remember, <laughs> it's so funny, I remember the moment I met you was in the table read, in one of the offices over at Fox and uh-huh. um I was there I'm early I'm habitually early everywhere I go so I was like the one of the first people in there and I'm sitting in there they had a bunch of food in there and I think I was eating just a ton of garbage and you walked in and um uh said hey I'm Lynn and and I was like, oh, hey, Steve, I, I go, you should have some of this food. It's amazing. And you're like, no, I brought my own. And you started telling me about all your weird food shit. And I immediately go, oh, you're Lynn Shelton. Because my friend Ellen Page had worked with you. And Ellen has weird food shit, too. And she worked with you and was like, it was really great because Lynn has all this weird food. And she was telling me about it. And I was like, oh, that's convenient. I and did then not I, remember that you knew it was me because I started talking about it. I knew it was that's you amazing. because of the food. I was like, oh, you're Lynn Shelton. I go, I'm friends with Ellen. And oh. I pieced it together because of the weird food stuff. Oh, that's so funny. Well, yeah, the fact that Ellen was good friends with you was a huge, you know, immediately... Yeah, there's a giant checkbox that's like, okay, well, this guy's somebody that I want to know more if he's <laughs> friends with Ellen because Ellen is one of the most awesome people I've ever met. She's the best. Got to work with. Yeah, she was really great. She's in my movie Touchy Feely that everybody should see. It's also got Allison Janney in it. Yes, Scoop my buddy McNary. Scoop McNary. Oh my who's god, blowing up. Everybody is so great in that film. Um, but yeah, what is your? It, is it? Do you have celiac? Is that what your thing? What is? Oh, your I have thing? so many things. Um, yeah. I was going to say, when we started, before we started recording... By the way, we're recording... <laughs> Part of the reason we're recording this is I owe Lynn an episode <laughs> of a podcast because she did, like, probably the last episode of my podcast, Uh, and it never aired because once 
Feral Audio switched over to Starburns. They kind of downsized a lot of their podcasts. And my uh, podcast has not been... They cut me. ...continued on on Starburns. And um, so I was like, yeah, let's do this. Because you have a movie, um, Outside In. Right. Which is now available on all the platforms, which you should definitely check it's out. available on netflix it may only oh, be available on netflix no so there's no reason you should not <laughs> no. watch this movie exactly um and it's really good it's uh jay duplass and edie falco and uh yeah i would say that right now it is my favorite film although the film that i'm i'm just finishing up which i'm hoping will debut at some point in 2019 is going to be a I'm excited. I'm very excited. I'm excited and I'm super jealous. (laughs) Once again, that I was not part of it because it's Mark Marin and Toby Huss and Jillian Bell, who I just met. You did? Like a week ago. Yeah. Did you guys work together or did you just met? No, we did a a benefit show together at the Ace Hotel. Oh, fantastic. At the Ace Theater at the Ace Hotel. It it really is an incredible cast. Michaela Watkins, Jillian Bell, John Bass, Mark Marin, um... Toby Huss, Dan Bacadal, Whitmer Thomas, mm-hmm. Tim Paul, incredible um, cameo by my co-writer, Mike O'Brien, who was supposed to be had, have a larger role, but he's show running um, a show that he created, AP, AP Bio, Bio, and yeah. they ended up sort of taking over. It, the second season got greenlit, and it sort of took over his life, so he couldn't come and be in yeah. it in a bigger way, but he does start off the whole movie. Anyway, it's... it's um, it's going to be amazing. It is amazing. I'm finishing it up and doing. I'm in LA doing color correction this week, and then we'll um, see if uh, we can get a festival. Is the picture premiere. locked? You're just now doing pictures color. locked. Yeah, we're just doing sound, finishing up the music mix. You know, doing all that stuff. So, but yeah, it's an independent film, so it has to be. Uh, it'll be in a festival, hopefully premiering somewhere, and then sold, and you know, and then cool. helping out in 2019. But it's it's yeah, it's super funny. But this movie Outside In that came out this last spring, 2018, is uh, I think beginning of the summer. It it came out on Netflix, and it's available. And it's so nice when things are on Netflix because it's sort of. I mean, I guess everything really out on digital platforms. Here we go. The sneezes. There are it goes. Oh, uh, um. Because it's like people, there's no late to the party. Like people can discover stuff when they discover it. And yeah, Edie Falco, J. Duplass, Caitlin Deaver, um, Ben Schwartz. It's, I'm so proud of this movie with an unbelievably beautiful soundtrack by the genius Andrew Bird. It just, oh my God, he's so good. Killed it. And I had such a dreamy time working with, yeah, very, very proud of that movie. And we shot it in upstate uh, Washington, Washington State. Where you shoot most of your town. stuff. Yeah, Except the new movie you movies. shot in uh, yeah, I've shot seven Louisiana? movies in, in Seattle. Not in Seattle, in, in Washington State. Some some bit is always in Seattle usually, but somewhere in Washington. But this last movie, Sort of Trust, with all of these comedian, amazing comic actors, um, we shot in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, Birmingham. Yeah, it was amazing. I really actually had a great time. But it was surreal. It felt very odd to be making a movie not in washington not on my own turf but fun super fun was it hot there it was insane it was mid uh may and i thought oh we'll be safe it's not gonna be unbearable it was horrible two of the worst days i've ever had on set um this one day we were out in this like little holler and it was so, it wasn't, again, it really wasn't the heat. It was the humidity yeah. was so oppressive. Everybody was just 
pouring sweat, the entire crew, the entire cast, every, you know, all day long. And you could, I mean, as a director, it's like when your brain is melting, it's very difficult yeah. to, and it was not an easy shoot. You know, it was 12 days, all improvised dialogue. 12 days? With four to eight people in each scene. And you're trying to figure out what the scene is. I mean, I had a, I had a scriptment. I knew what had to happen a in each scriptment. scene. That's what we called it. It was like a 45-page document that sometimes there was dialogue written, but a lot of times it just said, look, this is what has to be conveyed. This is what has to happen. Wow. And then you had to really map the scene out with the actors. And that was why I had hired all of these brilliant improv, you know, improvisers. Um, but you, you know, it's, it's so stressful because you're writing it on set and trying to get different degrees. You know, these were all like, I love to laugh and these are incredibly hysterically funny people, but sometimes they would really go off the rails in terms of, yeah. like, I, I, I wanted the movie to be grounded, able to go into crazy <laughs> directions sort of plot wise. But I always wanted it to feel like real people in this kind yeah. of crazy scenario, and I wanted it to feel grounded. So um, I always wanted to get a version of every scene that was at least you right. know, somewhat on the level, right. you know. Right. But then sometimes they would really go crazy. So just getting all these different levels of you know of insanity, and I don't know, it was. It was nuts, but my but just trying to cover. We had two cameras, but when you have eight people to cover in a scene, you know, to get <sighs> shots of everybody, it was. I, I still can't believe we were able to shoot it in twelve days. I, I That's don't. Amazing. I don't understand how it's possible <laughs> that we did it. I went to my first AD at though at the end of every day, going, "Why did we think this was even a possible thing?" You know, but we somehow managed to do it, and then it all has come together so beautifully in the, um, in the edit room. I just have to give a shout out to one more person, which is. Um, Tyler Cook, who is the editor that I met on Glow, he he ended up editing all three episodes that I've done on Glow in the first couple seasons, and this is his first feature he's ever edited, and we just had oh, the most nice. amazing time, and he was so sweet because he let, his whole family was really sweet because he let me come to his house every day in Highland Park. Oh, nice. And we had, he has an avid there, and I would like snuggle up with his dogs and hang out with this beautiful little kid, you know, every day. And um, it was heavenly. It was a really fun That's process. amazing you did that in two, in 12, less than two weeks. Yeah. And then we, and then we edited it in like two, two and a half months. It was crazy. I still totally crazy. will look at a call sheet when I'm working. Like yesterday I worked and it was, I got the call sheet the night before and it was two scenes. It's like, oh, it's just two scenes. We'll be done by noon. Right. We'll be done by noon. Yeah. I don't know why I always think of that. Because <laughs> average, you'll look at a call sheet and it'll be like five scenes and it's like a huge portion of the page. And this was like just t tiny two scenes, three pages each. And uh, but it's like six cast members. All in one room, and so I, I never... You have to remember, you have to get all the coverage on every person. You have to shoot every single person. I know. It takes a long time. Yeah, I remember one of the most... The, the first television job I ever had was Mad Men, which still blows my mind. Amazing. And there was a conference room scene, and that was when I really... It really hit home. There were like 12 people or something around yep. this table, and it was a pretty simple scene, but oh my... Because you'd have to cover every single person and all their reaction shots, and not just their lines, but all their reactions. And yeah. every time you move the camera, you have to relight. You're relighting. Yeah. So it just, it's like, yeah, it's an incredibly arduous process. 
You know what's amazing? A lot of people. Which I have never uh, only experienced once uh, working on Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Because usually, I mean, with a TV show, you because they're doing multiple episodes, you have your five days to shoot it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You have to get everything in that five days. Uh, and same with an independent film. It's like, we have 12 days. We have to do this. We yeah. cannot go over budget. And so you're, you get to a point where you're like, that's good enough. We got to move on. I think Guardians of the Galaxy, I have never experienced this before where it was like, we would work on it. There's a scene where we're in the forest when you first see the Ravagers. And it was like a two or three page scene. Uh, something that, you know, we would shoot in a day on a TV show. We did it for like three days. Oh, my God. Three days. <laughs> and in fact, like Chris Sullivan and I, he plays Taserface in the movie. We were the first people they covered in the scene. And granted, there were a lot of people in the scene, but they did our coverage, and then we went for the next, like, day and and shot. And so much had changed in those two days that... You had to go back and shoot. They were like, we're going to reshoot your coverage of because course. things have changed. Well, things evolve, you know, when you have that much time. I've always, yeah, dreamt. It's always the thing that I have dreamt about. I remember after making Hump Day, which was also another completely improvised dialogue movie... I thought the next time I do this, someday what I want to do is be able to have, because we shot that in 10 days. Oh my God. And I was like, I want to have 20 days to shoot a movie like this so that we can shoot the whole thing and then go back. Days. I want the luxury of and then, 20 but, days. But the way I would have done it is to shoot the whole thing and then go back and reshoot. And I, I probably wouldn't have reshot the entire movie, but some some scenes definitely would have improved if I'd been able right. to go back and shoot again because you've learned so much about the characters or you, you know, you realized, oh, actually, you know, it would have been great to have done, you know, you, you learn as you go. Yeah. So anyway, it, it's uh, yeah, it's always the luxury of time has always been something I've, I've, um, it's been my fantasy. The luxury of time and the luxury of money. Yeah, money, whatever. But it's really yeah, it's I mean that's they equal the same thing. That's yeah, why money you're gives shooting. you time. Money gives you time. More yeah, this time, was sure. I was shocked. I was expecting to go out there and be working like twelve, like full long days. I never once on Guardians worked past seven p.m. I was always out by 7 at the latest. Wow. And I was never in before 6 a.m. I had very Jeez. little makeup to do. I, I, oh, that helps. I grew a beard. I didn't have to have a beard put on. I grew my beard for six months. You didn't have major prosthetics or anything. Shaved my head. They put one scar across my face, and that took 20 minutes. Oh, wow. So easy. Um, but, I mean, there were people who had, you know, like Karen, of who course. would have to go in at 3.30 in right, the morning. Right. Or, or oh, Bautista. God, that would kill me. But that was, those were the people who had the long days, were the people who had early makeup. But like, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, you had a lot of leeway yeah. because of that budget. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys, you know what the first thing I think about usually when I wake up in the morning? The well, first thing I almost always think of uh, when I wake up is, why am I waking up so early? You want to know something that I never, ever, never used to think about when I'd wake up or even at all throughout the day, and that's deodorant. I just get up, go to the bathroom, swipe on whatever I had, and leave the apartment. 
but deodorant is something I use daily. So uh, if there's a safer alternative, I'd want to know about it, wouldn't you? That's why I'm here right now to tell you about Kapari's Coconut Deodorant, the aluminum-free deodorant that has been a game changer for me. Literally, I'm not joking. I've been using it for about a month and a half now, and I can honestly say uh, it works, and it works really well. It fights odor with uh, plant-based actives such as sage, coconut oil, and uh, the best part is it lasts. And um, this is Kopari's number one selling item on their website. They can barely keep it in stock. And um, there's no sticky white residue that's been plaguing me with uh, almost every other deodorant that I've tried. Just the amazing smell of coconut milk. And it really is... <laughs> I put it on and I I can just sit on the couch and enjoy my smell. <laughs> that sounds weird, but it smells so good. And Kapari is free of silicones, sulfates, parabens, GMOs, and baking soda. So it's great for sensitive skin, like my lily white ginger skin. Uh, so why wouldn't you want to try this? They offer a money-back guarantee as well, so there's no reason not to. So say aloha to Kapari. Go to kaparibeauty.com slash doc to make the safe switch today and see how you can save $5 off your first order. That's Kapari. K-O-P-A-R-I beauty.com slash doc, D-O-C, kaparibeauty.com slash doc. Thanks. Well, I mean, before we start recording, I was going to say that since this is a sort of medical themed thing, there's so many things I could talk about. But the main, the running theme for me and my medical history um, of my adult life has been that again and again, I've come up upon this pattern of, of stumping doctors and then having to figure out things on my own, you know, basically yeah, self-diagnosis. Yeah. A lot of self-diagnosis. And the first, I'm trying to think, did it, I guess they sort of coincided actually. Like the, there was, a, I, I always had upset tummy issues on and off. <laughs> Are you not recording? No, it's still recording. Okay. I'm always paranoid. <laughs> you like look so panicked for a minute staring at your recording device. Um, I've always had tummy issues, but there it got really bad in my 20s. There was just like it it just sort of grew and grew and grew. And there was this basically a four year period when I would be struck with the most intensely painful gastrointestinal distress where we'd be out on the town somewhere at a performance or a dinner or something. And I would be doubled over, you know, and the only thing, and like I'd have to like hobble to the curb and get a cab and go home and just like lay down for hours or a day on my side, sort of moaning, you know, and nothing would alleviate that. Nothing seemed to help. I couldn't figure it out. And it would be my, what, what would happen is my, my belly would just get blown up like a balloon yeah, and just like stabbing, like knife stabbing pain um, and gas that wouldn't come out. Like right. I would just be stuck like, you know, um, but unbelievably painful. And, and I never knew when it was going to strike. Like I right. couldn't figure out why or there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. Ugh. This was now this was a really long time ago because I'm 
old. So this You're was not old. This is well before. <laughs> You're not old. This is, By the way, Lynn's birthday was two days ago. Yes. Happy birthday. Lynn. Thank you. It was well before anybody had common knowledge of what celiac disease was. Nobody right. knew. It wasn't on the radar. Like they knew about it in Europe. In fact, I'd heard that in certain, some countries back then, they were just testing everybody for it. But here in America, when you say it was, back then, like how long? It's like the nineties. Oh, okay. So in America, it was just nobody knew this word. In fact, no, I'd never heard of it yeah. until like six years ago. Right, exactly. And so what happened was, I just was actually really lucky because, um, I didn't know what it was, and I and I was, um, I just figured I was sort of broken. You know, I remember, I remember because I'm also lactose intolerant. They often go together. So I remember days, I just think this is so funny. I would, I would, when I think back on this, I would be like, okay, I'm just going to eat something really bland, bland today. Yep. So I'm just going to have like a bagel and cream cheese, like white foods. Did you seem like, yeah, processed what could be foods. gentler than bread? What could be gentler? Flour, the staff processed. of life, Steve, the staff of life. I just thought, oh, okay, I'll just have some nice bread beige product, food. something beige, <laughs> little white, a little beige. I always think that right? too. Beige, Nothing potato, worse. I couldn't have rice. chosen anything worse than bagel and cream cheese. There's so much gluten in a bagel chewy 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 bagel uh, you know and and uh and then cream cheese is the worst like my mom is lactose intolerant and she will take lactate pills and she can eat basically any dairy except for cream cheese which nothing will help her you know digest it's so crazy what's even in i don't eat cream cheese i I don't like it so i don't even know it's It's sugary though right no no it's just dairy it's just a form of of dairy it's like a buttery it's you never eat it so i don't eat it i don't like it i miss it it. i miss all of it i used to love bread products so much but i i had no idea i couldn't figure it out and what was interesting was that a friend of mine um also had very similar symptoms and she read a book about wheat allergies and so she just for the heck of it tried cutting out wheat totally not celiac disease but just wheat related right yeah. so she cut out just wheat not gluten but yeah. wheat and she had an immediate it had an immediate effect like her symptoms like disappeared or got greatly reduced so she called me like you have to try this this is amazing it might be the key to our problem you know it was for me and maybe it is for you too because we had like exactly the same symptoms so i tried it it was i remember that first day being like Oh, I'm going to go eat the. Oh, right, that has wheat in it. Like, I just the aware the awareness of how yeah. many things contained wheat because it was so brand new to me, yep. right? And realizing, oh, oh, right, pasta. Oh, right. Oh, Ugh, oh, pasta. pizza. Oh, Fuck. oh, right, the sandwich. Oh, right, the cereal. Like every single thing I was eating had wheat in it. I was like, oh, I'd have to stop myself, you know, and realize. And it was immediate, like the first day, just no symptoms. And I was so sad because I loved bread products so much. I loved wheat so much. Yeah. But I was in so much pain that it was very motivating, right? So um, to eliminate the pain. But I was, I still was eating things like, you know, non-gluten-free oats because they didn't even have gluten-free oats. So they were tainted with gluten and <sighs> spelt like, a, you know, and, and rye and barley and things that had gluten, right? But not as much as, as wheat. Because I thought it was a wheat allergy and not not just gluten. My mom's best friend had been misdiagnosed for nine years with all kinds of, you know, everybody, they tried all kinds of things. She'd been like lying in a hospital bed, dying when finally somebody was like, 
celiac disease and it saved her life whoa so her mom my mom her it was killing her oh yeah oh yeah you no, it can kill you if it's what is celiac disease celiac disease is an autoimmune disorder that causes the the protein uh in gluten that gets into your small intestine and i'm going to get this wrong i don't know the you know inside and out of it but basically it causes your from my understanding it causes your um body to attack itself in the cilia the little cilia uh, of the lining of the small intestine it actually destroys itself or you know it, it the body destroys it so that what ends up happening after years of being of eating gluten if you have celiac disease the lining of the small intestine completely flattens out and all those little cilia that are are what are required for to taking move. in nutrients. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so all the nutrients and um, minerals, vitamins, all that stuff that you need, the micronutrients to be absorbed are not being absorbed. Right. So I was actually one of the lucky ones because it's something like 40% of people who have celiac disease get gastrointestinal pain like I did. Right. And my friend Madeline did. But... Um, most people, the majority of people with celiac disease get no gastrointestinal distress. So they don't even know they have it. And so I know like a sister-in-law of one of my dear friends, uh, sister, sorry, one of my dear friend's sisters, she didn't get diagnosed with celiac disease until she was in her 50s. And she had like weird um, neurological disorders, like all of a sudden half of her face just went numb and or like started sagging. She had like Bell's palsy or something. And she started getting weird tingles in her and pins and needles and stuff in all her limbs because she had gone for decades of not absorbing minerals, which you need in order to have your, you know, your, your neurons and your, your nerves work correctly. Your nervous system is dependent upon, you know, absorbing minerals and because she wasn't absorbing them she have you you have all kinds of other um well i was infertile like i didn't have i couldn't get pregnant and that was a big part of it you know um early like if you do manage to get pregnant a lot of there are birth defects you know um so that was all related to another journey they went on trying to figure out another problem of mine but anyway all this to say that um what ended up happening was just because my mom's best friend knew about this thing, celiac disease, this rare, they thought it was a super, super rare disorder. She, Nancy, had told my mom, you know, Lynn might not have weed allergy. It might be that she has celiac disease. And when I stopped all gluten, she educated me about celiac disease. I stopped all gluten and all my symptoms disappeared completely because I still had them a little bit. But what was the... The similarity. I mean, this woman was in the hospital dying. Right. You had stomach cramps. What made her think? Because my symptoms had been, she knew everything about celiac disease, so she'd been well-educated. So she knew that if I had these terrible problems and that, you know, these symptoms and that they were greatly helped by stopping wheat right. it might not just be wheat it might be gluten which is also in other stuff so yeah, yeah. wheat has the most of it like it has a, the largest portion of it but it's also in in wheat, a lot of other things so like good. rye and barley and oats that aren't gluten-free because they get contaminated and uh um 
and then it's in ingredients like soy sauce and you know it's in a lot of it's a, wheat what, and a lot of things. what this is in the 90s that you yes i figured it out in the 90s and so what ended up happening was i didn't even know what gluten was in the 90s oh yeah like i had to be educated about all of that there were exactly two and they were brand new there were two cookbooks no no products like now you go and right everybody knows oh, there's, oh, there's a gluten there's a gluten-free gluten section there's entire bakeries i remember the first time i walked into i never in my lifetime thought i would ever be able to walk into a, a bakery and eat anything and have something fresh baked that was yeah. <laughs> because i remember there was finally at one point there was a, a gluten-free bread that was a heavy heavy rice flour bread that was impossible to eat without toasting it and if you toasted it, it was barely edible <laughs> but it was awful it was just awful and i remember just like i had this dream that i would be able to someday eat something fresh baked that i hadn't made myself right um but there were two cookbooks out by betty hagman i remember that um, gluten-free cooking and like more gluten-free cooking or something, the early days, more she had the, you know, and you had this, in order to make a decent gluten-free flour, you had to find all these weird flours and combine them because you needed to do a mixture, you know, and since then, like people have done so much more experimenting, but she was a pioneer, you know, and I'm very grateful to her, but it was like, yeah, at the time there was nothing, there was no resources. It was just this desert. And my, I remember going to, I, I had this internist that I had gone to in New York who I really liked. He was very, um, you know, there's this, there's, I think that doctors are shamans and they, they can have an effect on you both for ill and good. And I've walked away from so many appointments, especially early on when I, before I knew better, (laughs) but I didn't have to put up with this. Yeah. And especially in New York, the East Coast was really bad for this. These arrogant asshole doctors who would make you feel like shit, like you had somehow failed, like you were somehow broken and you would leave. (laughs) They wouldn't give you any information. They wouldn't spend any time with you. They would act like they knew everything and you were somehow, you know, inept and it was all your fault or something. And you'd leave just feeling like shit. And I liked this guy because he was he really had the opposite effect. Like he he really was, he listened and he was, you know, but when I came in and I told him, I think I have this disease, you know, I'm, I'm really sure that I have it. And he was like, celiac what and i remember him taking down this giant book and like looking oh up, my god and it was like celiac sprue you know this sort of tropical disease he'd never heard of it. how do you spell it and he oh just my was like god. i don't think you have this this is really rare like this is something that is i don't know how you even came up Cut with this. To, it's not really rare and then, at all of course it turns out that so many people have it i mean not so many it's not like one in ten but it's enough of a population that you know it can actually sustain and then there's this whole gluten intolerance thing too which is a real thing i know people who have go into a coma if they you know practically well not a real coma but they go into like a zombie like state when they have a sandwich um that's how it just that's how ellen page described it she said when she stopped eating gluten like it transformed her life she would go into depression she would go into you know people have joint pain they have all kinds of other things it took ellen a while to figure everything out though because it wasn't just she went of course Ellen went extreme on the diet, like gluten-free. And then was able to tolerate. I think now she even eats some meat because I think a doctor was like, you need iron. Yeah. Well, I don't want to go into other people's medical things. Right. You know, she should talk about it herself. But but yeah, no, I know I I have friends who, who don't eat gluten, but they're not celiacs. 
Now, I also want to say the vast majority of the population is fine with gluten. I'm not one of those people that says, oh, everybody should cut, you know, gluten out of their diet because it's not true. I mean, a lot of people, most people can handle gluten just fine, you know, and and uh, it's very upsetting to me when people take on this as a sort of a fad thing. And then I get labeled as, you know, people have called me a glutard. Oh, are you one of those glutards or whatever? And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you get I've maligned all the time. And glutard. you go into, like you go to a restaurant, there are certain restaurants, really fancy restaurants that are super nice about just making you something off a menu and being really great about dietary restrictions because they understand and then there and then there are these chefs who are like you fucking wuss you know there's something you think that there's something wrong with you because you can't you know oh you don't want to eat this because you have some sort of and it's like fuck you i am a fucking gourmet i would i would love to eat everything on your goddamn menu but i fucking can't so fuck you for like you know oppressing me gourmet. and making me feel like a goddamn you know asshole for for having this broken body. Like I'm sorry my body doesn't want me to have any fun, but you know I don't know. I just it's really upsetting to me when people are not tolerant of a medical condition that doesn't let me eat shit. <laughs> gourmet. And then fuck people who think it's I'm all in your goddamn head or whatever, you know? Like, fuck, I fucking love food. I wish I could eat all of it. And I just, I just don't want to be in pain, you know? God. And I know it's not psychological fuck you, because... I'm a gourmet. Fuck you, I'm a gourmet. <laughs> whatever. I love food, you know? I just, and there are people who really are just, like, very um, intolerant of, of food intolerances. <laughs> I'm writing this down as a possible title. Oh, God. Fuck you. Fuck I'm you. A I'm a gourmet. Anyway... But yeah, no, I get very frustrated um, because I would love to eat everything. But and so, yeah, so on top of all that, like after years of just basically just cutting out gluten and it really it was it was great. That seemed to be the key. Right. So then I figured out I actually started having more weird problems and I ended up having to cut out, realize I had to cut out a bunch of other stuff, too. The biggest one I have to say was the biggest life changer for me was all Osa's. So I don't eat any sugar at all. Um, Yeah. Glucose, dextrose, uh, sucrose, you know, lactose, all of it. uh, So I don't have honey, agave, maple syrup. Yeah. And it's all got oats in it. It's all, it's all sugar. It's all different forms of sugar. But like natural, like just like bees honey, you can't. I don't eat fruit, dude. I don't don't eat eat I do not eat fruit. I can't even tell you how painful it is not to eat a goddamn blueberry i love blueberries i love berries i love raspberries so when did much. you stop eating fruit uh it's a few years back now it's been a while but um it changed my life because i was getting like i basically had this constant candida overgrowth or some kind of bad oh, back, can, my back is it candida is yeah or, or candida? It's basically you know you have this biome this gut biome that's a you know you have lots of good bacteria you know quote unquote good bacteria that's like it's a balance right it's a balancing act between 
you're like 90% made up of like little microbes, right? <laughs> We're made, they, the more they find out about the immune system yeah, and about yeah. your health, it, it's all contingent on your, your, your healthy biome, you know, of all these little organisms that live inside of you, you yeah. know, and hopefully happily. Yeah. But, um, people who have leaky gut syndrome, this is, this was an article I read, a kind of semi academic article a while back that really helped me figure this out. That um, people with celiac disease, but also other other um, ulcerative colitis and IBS and other, not everybody, but it seems that a certain number of people cannot break down these molecules, these OS molecules. Sure so what is. happens is they get stuck in your gut and then they feed the bad bacteria is basically, again, the sort of the shorthand of it. This is my, my understanding. I have fully forgotten about candida. <clears throat> Yeah, well, I, I, I for telling... a long time was like heard about it, and yeah. a lot of people were like, "You may want to look into this because it's yeah, it's sugars just destroying your stomach." Oh, basically, yeah, because I mean, for me, it was not being able to break down the sugars. So if you look up, you know, candida diet again, it's one of those things where people, some people say, "Oh, this is a quack thing." Well. I don't know. Maybe it is, but for me, it worked. Like it really yes. worked. If I cut out all that stuff, and I—I I mean, I was already not eating all half of the stuff on there. I don't eat beer. I don't eat bread. I don't eat all that stuff. <laughs> but it was. I don't eat beer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's like one of the major things. Right. You know, they have this list of things you're not supposed to eat. Um, but sugar was the main thing. I stopped eating alcohol, drinking alcohol. I stopped drinking all, all forms. Like, you know, for a while I was just drinking. I thought, oh, I can get away with like club soda and vodka or, yeah, you know, a little too. bit of whatever. And, and I just, I realized, no, I can't No alcohol is, it immediately breaks me down, but it would affect my mood. Like I went in when I had, I would every, every month for like six months, I was getting a yeast infection, uh, gynecologically. So it would like my naturopath was finally the one who helped me say, look, your whole gut is just overflowing with this stuff and it's just going down right. into your right. gynecological system, um, your vagina, um, every month at a certain time <laughs> of month, right? You know, yeah, when, yeah. when there's, it's a sugary time of month because of your biome down there. Anyway, and so that was when I really realized I have to deal with this systemically. But again, it's like piecing this all together, you know, myself anyway. Um, but, but I did. And then it like, it, it really changed my life. So the only, so I, I, I eat stevia and I'm sort of addicted yeah, to it because yeah. it's the, I, like I have, stevia, a, I have yeah. a sweet tooth, you know, and I tried every brand and they all tasted gross to me, but I found one that I actually, for some reason it tastes better than the others. I don't notice a, t a difference in them, but I, I actually like stevia. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to make sure that like a lot of stevia projects, ha uh, pro products have, um, additives like dextrose or they throw... Why would they do that? Well, bec I don't... Isn't because that people, the whole purpose of using stevia? No, I mean, a lot of people eat stevia because... They use stevia because it's like, you know, um, people used to use saccharin. Like they try... It's a caloric thing because it has no calories. So oh. they're using it um, because they don't want to put heaping... They don't want to put all these teaspoons of sugar in their coffee or whatever because they're trying... They're diabetic or they just don't want it, the calories. Right. Um, so a little bit of dextrose or a little bit of binder or whatever, but like, I don't do well with any of that stuff on any of those, any of those weird starches and guar gum and all those things. Like I have to, so what it means is that I end up having to <laughs> cook for myself, yeah. you know, but it's, I do eat healthier, you know, but the last straw, I'll tell you about the last thing 
that makes me like, oh my God, Steve, it's so pathetic. So a few years ago, I started getting a new kind of cramping. That's not just if I accidentally eat gluten, I'll have, you know, I know, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. Like if I've accidentally eaten gluten, I'm like, oh, this is a very specific pain. It was a new kind of pain. It was, in it, and it came over me like debilitating, completely debilitating, like moaning on my bed. The only thing I can compare it to is going into labor. I, I've had one kid. I've been in yeah. labor once. I also had a really insanely painful miscarriage. It was, that was the only, it's like the worst menstrual cramps times a hundred or like almost like child labor, really, really bad. And in the same kind of like wave, like pattern. And it turned out it was, it took a while for me to figure it out because the gastroenterologist that I went to did no not help did not diagnose it. Um, uh, but I figured out it was IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, which as it turns out, I read recently, 60% of women get misdiagnosed with some sort of gynecological thing. They think it's gynecological because it has the same weird, um, it has the same wave-like pattern yeah. of pain. Yeah. Like the pain that comes over you when you're cramping or you're in labor is like comes in waves. Right. And it's this sort of generalized in your gut somewhere. Abdomen. So I thought it was like an ovarian cyst or something. I had no idea what it was, but it was so painful. And again, I didn't know what was triggering it. Well, once I figured out it was IBS, I... Yeah, you have like, the most amazing diet. What's triggering how IBS? You, well, what's triggering IBS, what helps IBS is um, there is a university in... Monash University in... Um, I might be saying it wrong. In Australia, figured out a few years ago... That there is this diet, this crazy diet called the FODMAP diet, low FODMAP diet. Oh my God. And and a huge proportion, like 70% of people who have IBS, if they follow this diet strictly, their symptoms will either disappear completely or be greatly reduced. And so I've been, I've added this, these restrictions to my already pretty restricted Jesus diet. Lynn. Yeah. So it means I basically can't go out to eat. It's very difficult to eat out. What do you when have to cut when out? When somebody wants to have a lunch or a dinner date with me, like some sort of a business meeting or something, I'm like, we have to go to a sushi restaurant because I can have raw fish and I know I'll be fine. But if I go to any restaurant that wants to cook food in a flavorful manner, they're probably going to want to use onions and garlic. And that is the top of the list of not what not to eat on the low FODMAP diet. So it makes wow. it, if I can't go buy like boxed, you know, broth, I have to make my own broth if I want to make soup. I have to, like they put, you put onions in anything. That was how I learned how to cook was to start with onions. You caramelize the onions. Yeah. It makes anything taste delicious, garlic right? too, yeah. Yeah, and garlic. I freaking love those foods. Why is this will... something that just started so late? I have, well, actually it does, it does come, especially for women, it does. It is something that happens later. It'll oh. often it'll often occur to you um, later in your in your life, sort of in midlife or your forties or whatever. Um, it's very common. It won't. It just won't even present itself until later. So yeah, it's it means that I'm eating like oh the, from the smallest list of food, and I'm not that. I love food, but I'm not really that You're creative. A fucking gourmet, a cook. Yeah, I'm a fucking gourmet, Steve. <laughs> so um, my dream is to have a personal chef. Like when my ship comes in, I'm gonna find somebody to cook for me because I I really had this. I've had this a couple of times. I I um. I've had somebody cook for me during, like when I made this movie Outside In, I was living in a, I didn't have a kitchen. I was, um, we were up in this little tiny 
uh, uh, town called Granite Falls, and we were living in a bed and breakfast, like a kind of a, you know, so I had a really nice room, and I had like a little mini fridge, I think we managed to get for me, but I didn't have any way to cook food, plus I didn't have any time, so I found a, a chef who was willing to, willing and able to, you know, make foods within my restrictions, and I had this hour and a half long conversation with her and I gave her this list of these are the foods that I can eat. These are the condiments I can handle, you know, whatever. And she made me the most beautiful food. And it was like Christmas every day. I would just open up these. I would just be like crying because <laughs> it was the most beautiful, delicious food that I never would have come up with these things, right. you know, because I'm not a cook. I'm not a chef. So when Did I you have cooking, her give you the recipes. She gave me, yeah, but you know, I still, it's like, I'm just lazy, you know? So I make my, like, it's just pathetic. The food that I eat, I basically eat the same food every day. It's food I like, but it's like the same and it's just easy for me to make it and I don't have to think about it. But especially when I'm on set, you know, I just don't, all my (laughs) spare time when I'm prepping and and shooting a, a show, a TV show or a movie, all my spare time is spent shopping like I'm going to you know when I'm in LA I'm going to Erewhon I'm going to Lassen's I'm going to Whole Foods I'm getting all of my different ingredients some things I can only get at one but I can't get the other you know and then I'm like amassing and then I'm cooking I'm prepping I'm cooking I each morning I'm like you know I'm putting things in containers at night I'm cleaning the container it's like it's all I do it's so freaking stupid but it's worth it because you feel good yeah and there's so many times when I've tried to convey to a caterer or to uh you know we'll we'll we're ordering in for food you know for we're prepping or whatever and I'll say okay just make sure there's no this this and this and I get sick because they're like sure we can take care of you and then there's something in there that they don't think about or they don't really care or whatever and I get sick onions and I'm like yeah exactly and I'm just sick forever so I mean it lasts it's not just like a couple hours it's like a few days oh it is oh yeah it's really it's really bad like the recovery from it is is brutal so I'd rather just be in control and make sure that I'm not going to get sick but it is depressing you know it's really it's really a Bummer. <laughs> hey guys, it's time for another Sunbasket ad. That's right, another one. I've been using them all summer and enjoying their delicious meal kits delivered right to my front door and making healthy cooking easy and convenient. I don't know about you, but I find mindful eating a huge part of self care. I just feel better in general when I eat better. But eating right is sometimes hard for people to maintain, especially people like me who are gone a lot, uh, don't have a lot of time. But Some Basket offers 18 weekly, weekly, 18 different weekly recipes, including uh, paleo, gluten-free, vegetarian, vegan, and more. Sunbasket takes care of the details, making it easier to take care of yourself. No matter how much cooking experience you have, which for me is just... Uh, a notch above making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, Sun Basket makes it easy for you. Just go to the Sun Basket app and choose from the 18 weekly recipes, soba noodles, uh, Buddha bowls, you name it. They work with the best farms and suppliers to bring you fresh organic produce and responsibly raised meats and seafood. For me, the best part is everything is pre-measured. <laughs> and ready to cook. So you can have your meals ready in like 30 minutes. 
It's just all there. I don't have to measure anything. I just put things where they need to go, cook them as long as they need to be. It's literally the easiest thing to do. And uh, there's something for every healthy journey and every busy lifestyle. So go to sunbasket.com slash no docs today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash no docs, N-O-D-O-C-S, for $35 off. Sunbasket.com slash no docs. Thanks, guys. And once one of these episodes starts, like if you have an IBS bout or something or accidentally get gluten, it's... It's not like there's a pill or anything you can take to make it stop the pain stop. You have to write it out. Right. I have figured out there's this there's this product for IBS called IB Guard that are basically it's just peppermint pills like time release peppermint oil as far as I can tell. And that's the only thing I've ever found that's really that in combination with like gas X, like, like, you know, extra strength gas X. Those are immediately my go to and they'll ameliorate. They'll 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 help a little bit. But it doesn't, it's not like they just solve it or make it go away completely, you know? You know, it's helped me immensely because mm-hmm. I'll get sometimes, not always, but once in a while, I'll get like such bad heartburn. Mm. I'll eat something. I don't know what causes it, but like stabbing, like the first time it happened, I thought I was having a heart attack. Like just like right under really your Really by the yeah. sternum, like just really sharp pains and... You know, Pepsi doesn't really help. Tums mm. Roll Aids doesn't really help. I usually end up writing it out. But then, one time I took um, Alka Seltzer. Oh yeah, just old ass. Yeah, you know, old guard, seventy year old Alka Seltzer. Yeah. And it helped. two two drops in the water. Chug it. Chug the fizzy water, and then within like three or four minutes, the hugest burp, like. <laughs> Just like guttural, like, uh, right. Monsters and a couple of those. And it just, you can feel the pain go oh, away. It's so wonderful, man. When you feel that's the, the only thing about being in that kind of pain is that when you're not in it, it's, it's pretty spectacular. I wanted to say one more thing since if anybody is listening to this and wondering what the <laughs> hell FODMAP is. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to get this wrong. I'm sure. But it's something along the lines of it's it's an acronym and it stands for I believe fructosaccharides, so oligos yeah, fructosaccharides, oligosaccharides, disaccharides, m- monosaccharides, and polyols. I think that's what it is. And there are these weird little ingredients. They're 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 not weird little. They're just they're a specific kind of. They're they're each of them is a category of an ingredient that are found in particular foods. So the list seems almost sort of random of foods, but it's because they each, they each have different, oh, fructans is in there too. Fructans might be fructosaccharides. I don't know. Anyway, but, um, so if you look it up online though, you'll see different lists of the foods and some people have more of a sensitivity to fructans, but, or, or fructosaccharides or whatever, but not to the polyols, you know, so you can experiment. I cut them all out, but then I've been experimenting and I found that actually, I have a pretty high tolerance now for avocado, which used to be, I I mean, I I wouldn't have like, the amount I used to have was like an avocado a day. And now I'll have like, you know, a a quarter of an avocado, you know, is fine. But um, if you look at the list, it's really interesting. Like there's, like, I don't ever eat pistachios or cashews. Like those have a hugely high amount, but I can 
kind of have a few walnuts, you know, like it's interesting or maybe an almond, you know, I have to, there's some things I can eat in moderation. So it's a diet where you try stuff and cut yeah, stuff Yeah, you kind of have to experiment, but I, but I would say phase one is just call, everything. cut everything out from that list and, then and it's a long list and there's like, you know, there's, a, I mean, it's just, it's painful. The worst, the worst for me are the onion garlic. They, they basically say, if you don't cut anything else out, cut out onions and garlic but you know, then it's like it's only the water do. soluble. If you if you braise or you put it in soup or something, it's only that it'll the element will only come out in water. But you can actually have garlic flavored oil because, or even if you slice up a garlic and just put it in oil to flavor the oil, and then you take the garlic out before you add any vegetables, that's safe. It's really weird. So it's not oil soluble. It's only water soluble so it's interesting because um i mean i mean i don't mess with onions at all but um <laughs> but you can flavor your oil with garlic anyway so there's all these very specific um things but i i do recommend since i've started talking about this there have been two or three of my friends who have gone on this diet and have had a, a, a an easing of their own symptoms so it's definitely something if somebody's having get, uh, digestive distress it's wow. something i definitely recommend people check out because there may be some it's like, and I'm trying to think of some of the others: asparagus, cauliflower, um, uh, beets. Um, but like greens are safe, like kale and lettuce. I can eat, and you know, chard and stuff. But I, I I'm not supposed to have. I'd, I've never really been able to deal with broccoli. Oh, Brussels sprouts are bad. And, and not just garlic and onions, but shallots, leeks, you know. I can have chives, though. I have a lot of <laughs> chives because it's dark green. Like, it just gets very specific. But anyway, that's, that's, what, they, that's what it stands for. And um, I'm still shocked that you don't eat fruit. Oh, it's horrible. That's the worst. The can't... sweetest actual food, like, like inherently sweet food I have, and I'm totally addicted to it, are squash winter squashes. I can have yams and I can have um, my favorite squash is kabocha, which is a Japanese squash that is just, I love it so much. I literally have it every day. And if I can't find it because it's not always in season, I like have a panic attack. It's really depressing to me. Can um, you eat if I just can't regular have sweet potatoes? Yeah, but not in, I'm not supposed to have a ton of them. Like I, I'm, I'm only supposed to like, if, if you read it, it's like, oh, you can have like, you know, a quarter of a cup of yam and I'll, I'll have more than that sometimes. Right. But, yeah, it is one of it is a yes food, but no freaking fruit. I know it's really, it's and then to me the it other sounds impossible. Like, but I I, yeah. I know that once you start doing it, it becomes yeah. And then I have to remember there's a whole other category of just like acidic foods. So for instance, tomatoes. Uh, yeah. So I don't have tomatoes. I don't. I really don't eat. I used to have lemon and lime. I don't really have that much anymore. Like I have a little bit of you know not too much vinegar that kind of stuff. But um. But coffee, it's very interesting. Here's another little tip for people is that I've discovered cold brew coffee is 70% less acidic oh. than, um, or 67% or something like that of than, than just normal brewed coffee. So I can have cold brew coffee and I only have a certain tolerance for caffeine. So I'll, and you can't really <laughs> buy decaffeinated cold brew on the, like bottled on the shelf, you know? So I'll make my own my own decaf Jesus cold brew coffee. 
Christ. I have like, my kitchen is like a little science experiment. Like last night I made, Beakers. it probably still smells like broth because I made, I made uh, turkey broth, bone broth for myself last night. I like save all my trims from veggie trimmings and in the freezer. And then I make my own veggie broth and I'll throw in like a, you know, like this case, it was like an organic turkey neck or something. Because... <laughs> Because bone broth is really good for you, um, for your gut. So I'll make my own my own bone broth. I for a long time I was only a pescatarian. I only ate fish, and finally, when after I figured out the FODMAP thing, and I was eating like there were like three things I could eat. You can eat zucchini. You can eat green beans. You can do eat, you eat quinoa. You know, I don't do a lot of. I, I do. I mean, I can, but I don't eat a lot of grains. I generally don't. I find I do better without grains. I don't eat beans. Oh, um, God. Because they can't really, I don't really do well with them. Anyway, so I added meat back into my diet because I was oh, I was nice. meat-free for a good 10 years, and I, just, and I like it better, and I eat a lot of fish, but I just was like, I feel, I just felt so deprived. You know, I was like, I yeah. have to be able to eat add something to my menu for a change instead of constantly taking yeah, food away. You're a gourmet. <laughs> I'm a goddamn gourmet, Steve. Yeah. I'm a fucking gourmet. <laughs> um oh yeah, God. anyway, but that's all tied the the other thing that ended up um you know, I did, I wanted to get pregnant. I'll just tell this story really quickly, but I I wanted to get pregnant and I'd been on the pill for 12 years cuz I had irregular periods when I was a teenager and so I got put on the pill before right. I was even sexually active just to just to regulate. try and regulate my hormones. I mean, my, um, my periods. And so I was like, Oh, I want to get pregnant. In my late, I was like 28. And so I'm going to go off the pill and I didn't have a period at all. I didn't ovulate. Right. For like when four, you went off it. Yeah. For oh, like wow. 14 months, like over a year. So oh I go to my doctor. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? She does all these tests and she says, everything looks normal. I'm stumped. She literally said, I'm stumped. And it was the first Thanks, time, Doc. yeah, in my life that I was like, um, what? Like, what? Because you're brainwashed from when you're a little kid. The doctors know everything. You're supposed to help me. And yeah. they, they can solve all your problems, and they know how your body works, and they know what's going on. And so it was just like the most wake-up call moment. And I was living in New York City, and my sister said, you should go see, or maybe I said, I want to. I guess I want to try alternative medicine. I'd never yeah. even considered it before. Yeah. It never was in my, you know, it wasn't in my, but I really wanted to get pregnant and my doctor had no idea what was wrong with me. So what else was I going to do? Right. So my, right. my sister is like, there's a great acupuncturist in Chinatown. You, you go in there, no appointment. He's there 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. And you just walk up and you wait and you pay him 30 bucks in cash and he, you know, I went behind the little shower, pink shower curtain. There was one other person. I waited for like half an hour. Then I walked in. I remember closing the little shower curtain and standing, you know, I'm sitting across from a card table. He holds my wrists. He looks at me. He says, what's your problem, lady? Yeah. What's your problem, lady? And, and then uh, out front, there was a guy who, you know, he, he wrote down a prescription and the guy filled a plastic bag filled with roots and dried yeah bulbs and weird yeah. you know looking Herbs. things and i stewed it up into this black tea that i was supposed to drink like twice a day and i remember the f the big first few doses of it i could barely 
get down. Yeah, but by yeah. the end of the two weeks I was taking this stuff, I was craving it, literally. Whoa. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, I could barely scarf it down. I remember at the beginning, and then by the end, I was like, when can I have my next dose? It was weird. And I, I took it for 16 days, and nothing happened. I was, was supposed to bring on my period, you know? Nothing happened. I was really sad. And then, like, two days later, I had my period, my first period in a year and a half. Holy shit. And I was sold. I was like, okay, well, and then at that point, I ended up not going back to that dude because I didn't feel like I could really talk to him because his English wasn't very good. So I started on this, like, journey of looking, of trying out different modalities. And I went... I went to everybody, you know, I went to a nutritionist. I went, I ended up with this wonderful, um, Jewish, uh, acupuncturist who had studied Tibetan medicine. She'd gone to Tibet and, but she was also just one of these people. I would come away just feeling, I remember I went to her after I'd been really sick. I'd had the stomach flu and I just had no appetite. And I went to her and I said, you know, I just, I'm so not sick. I'm, I'm so not, you know, um, I can't eat. She was like, you have to eat. I'm like, I can't, I can't put anything, keep anything down. She did some sort of treatment on me, some acupuncture treatment. I left there starving, hungry as a horse. I I mean, I would have eaten a horse. I was so, so hungry. And I remember just thinking, Oh, old people who can't eat like this is the treatment they need. You know, it was like magic. And she did get me pregnant. Actually, she really helped to get me pregnant and figure out my problem, but it was all, I felt like I had to go down this road of figuring shit out on my own, you know? You would love my acupuncturist who's just a few really? blocks away. Are you serious? They are. I've talked about them many times on here. The first people to do acupuncture in LA. Whoa. They go back. I love acupuncture. Many man. generations into love China it. as acupuncture, like 10 generations. Like they've been doing it for like a hundred years. The family and they came to LA and they are just down on Beverly. Wow. And um like Beverly near Alvarado. They're super close to you. Oh, cool. And um I can always get in the same day when I need to. And wow. uh they 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 were literally the first people to do acupuncture in LA. Wow. In fact, they kept getting shut down because the it wasn't even the city was like, This isn't medicine, you can't do wow. this. Wow. That's amazing. And um, they're awesome. Well, I will plug my LA acupuncturist, who is a, a magic man, yeah. who I adore, um, named Russell Brown, who has a, 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 a practice called Poke, which I think is the most adorable thing in the world. That's hilarious. And he's down, right now he's on Melrose and La Brea, but he's going to move. I don't think it's very far, but it's, he'll stay in West Hollywood. Oh, but cool. he is absolutely incredible and i you know i have a naturopath and acupuncturist in in seattle who's totally different i adore her as well and she's my sort of touchstone and my shaman but what i one of the things i love about all of these practitioners that i go to because i also see this guy to do sort of body work i can't even remember aston body patterning is his main thing but he also has created his own sort of thing and um and then this chiropractor who's who's not a bone cracker but he's like very gentle and he's yeah. just a miracle worker and every single one of them are so different from each other yeah and they all have their own take on mm. what's going on. There's another chiropractor in L.A. Dr. Ken Best I've seen who I I was had the worst tweaked back and I went into him and he was like structurally he was doing all these testing tests and he said structurally you're fine. 
it must be emotional. And he asked me about what was going on emotionally, like what happened when your back went out? And I was like, well, I just come out of a meditation. And he said, were you thinking about a specific thing? And I was like, I was, I was trying to work through this thing that's, you know, that I I felt like I'd wronged somebody or I felt guilty and I didn't know what to do about it. And he was like, well, are you willing to, and he worked through this thing with me emotionally and I walked out of there pain-free. It was nuts. Like I literally (laughs) couldn't walk. And when I came out, it was pain-free. And I don't know any of my other practitioners I go to see my magic people who would have approached it in that way. You know what I mean? It's nuts to me, but they all have their own way in and their own, the way that they talk about what's going on in your body. And, and they're all, I'm very open because, you know, they've all worked for me, you know, like I've gone to see, um, I, I made a movie called touchy feely. Allison Janney plays a Reiki practitioner, which is energy work. And I've always wanted to try Reiki and it was like, oh, I can do it as research, right? Uh, and I started to see hilarious. a I know, it was great. And so I went to see a Reiki practitioner for the first time and uh, it was crazy. I had one of the most spiritual experiences of my entire I think my third eye opened once when I did Reiki. Not every time, but there was this one time when I actually had this experience where I felt like there was my body I was lying on a table and the bottom half of my body felt like it was well it started with the sense of heat over me i wasn't outside or anything but i felt like the sun was coming down and shining and like really radiating heat all over the top half of me and the bottom felt like i was in the earth and i was like sinking into the earth and then becoming part of the earth yeah and the top of me i felt you know like the sun below and the earth beneath like but like i was like my body had dissolved basically right right and I realized in the middle of this, and it was an intensely calm experience, I realized, oh, this is death. No, no, in a really good way. <laughs> yeah. In a really, like, really good way. Like, in a way that I came out of it, and it was I was completely comforted and completely not afraid of death anymore. Right. It was crazy town. It was crazy town. Like, I literally... I expected to open my eyes and see a heat lamp over me. Like it was so hot, Warm. but it was clearly the sun. And then below was just like, I, have I a f- was part of the I earth. Have a it friend was crazy. Who went to South America on this whole trip where he did ayahuasca and he did, there's another drug that they do down there that is, uh, another plant, plant medicine. Yep. To simulate death that simulates the oh, effects yeah. of death. Uh-huh. And, it's not um, ayahuasca, right? It's something else. It's not ayahuasca. Yeah, and know. he he took it, you know, they went with uh, a few people and they see the shaman and they all take it. And the shaman's like, this doesn't work for everyone. He's like, only a handful, a very few of you will actually feel the, um, the effects. Um, but he did. And he said it was amazing and not terrifying. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still will go back because I, I definitely before that experience would get racked. Not not all the time, not like, you know, some people are, but would have these panic attacks in the middle of the night sometimes of just like, <gasps> I don't want to die, you know, why do I have to die? Like freaked out about death, like yeah. terror of death. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have that. And after <laughs> this experience, I swear to God, I, I if I start to feel that coming on, I'll just remember what that experience was like and be like, oh, yeah, no, it's cool. It's going to be all right. <laughs> I lately, lately being like the past few days, someone was talking to me about DMT and I've been kind of wanting to try DMT. I want it so bad. 
I want to do it so bad, Steve. Please tell me if you. I I can't. I've been on a quest to be honest about you know trying to figure out how to do it. So yeah, my friend has it, and he. I know a lot of people that have tried it, and they're like, "Yeah, it's amazing," and also it's great because it only lasts like ten minutes. That's the thing, right? You don't have to. It's not a huge investment. Um, But apparently, it's it's in already in your body, and it's released when you die. Yeah, like supposedly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they know that exactly, but whatever. I don't either. But I, anyway. I, I was always like, you know, cause I've had bad acid trips. Mm. I've even had some, you know, over the past few years, some mushroom trips, which were fine at the time, but afterwards the, the effects afterwards were horrible and Mm-hmm. Uh, dreaming very vivid dreams after I'd done the mushrooms where people in my life who've died come to visit me in my dreams, which honestly were kind of disturbing. And, um, but my friend was like, yeah, there's really no after effects with the DMT. You know, it slowly wears off and you're like, it's very it reflective extremely and... fucking intense obviously oh yeah i mean insane i yeah. blame the f- person that I, I the first time i ever heard about it was actually on mark's um wtf podcast when he talked to shane moss have you heard that oh yeah, yeah. talk about that do you know yeah. shane i do know shane yeah. I, so i blame shane for like getting me obsessed with it because i just i'm like i want to do it so bad and then i listened to i don't know if you ha- heard him ryan do you know ryan singer Oh, yeah, yeah. He has a podcast, too, Paranormal and Me. And he and Shane, it was a two-parter. They did a podcast where they they talked about it, and then they recorded each of them doing it, babysitting the other one. It's amazing. It's so mesmerizing. Are they, while they're tripping on it, are they talking about it? Yeah, but, you know, you're doing it when you need a babysitter, right? So you've got somebody, they each was babysat each other, and so... You're not the people who are in it are, are not, not talking. talking at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then right afterwards, they tell about the experience and where they went and what happened, and it's really fascinating. You know, if you really want the kind of firsthand, like or as close to a firsthand experience or secondhand, oh, I guess secondhand. Experience, I gotta listen to that. It's really mesmerizing. It's so entertaining. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. But there were aspects of what they talked about. But I mean, Shane had done it at that point, and this was a few years ago, but Shane had done it, he said, like 80 times, upwards of 80 times, which is kind of crazy. I'm sure by now he's done it like 200 times. But um, but even he said, even like right before he was going to do it, he was terrified. Yeah. He said every time he's so terrified. But then afterwards, and it was the same thing, like Ryan was terrified, but then by the afterwards, he's like, I think the first thing he said was, one of the first things he said, I remember was, I want my grandmother to do that. everybody has to do that like they have to do it once like he was such a proselytizing you know right afterwards just saying that was the most amazing thing ever you know but i don't know if i I, when i could do it again because again because it's just so terrifying i think my my impression is the very beginning of it isn't is is the hardest part going into it is just like Oh my God! Mach three, what yeah, you are yeah. immediately exactly. But then you engrossed. sort of push through the first part of it, and then you're in it, and it's it's and it's great when you come out of it. But it's 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 it sounds really scary, and it, I don't think it's something that everybody should do. I don't think it's something that if you're if you have any kind of apprehension, mental health oh, yeah. disorder, <laughs> you know. I mean, I think it's it's the kind of thing that could really fuck well, the, somebody. One of up. the reasons I would never want to do ayahuasca is. 
it lasts for forever and you shit yourself and puke and i hate being i hate being nauseous i hate it me too i I hate being sick i know my body is so you know freaking sensitive to digestive shit that i'm just like i know i'm i have never been and then i did i talked to somebody recently who was sort of talking about it and it was the first time ever that i was like uh, all right, maybe uh, maybe I would do it, but I really have not been, ever been attracted to ayahuasca just because of the because of that because of the of the of the gastrointestinal thing. I'm just right. like, I do not want to make myself sick, and I know you get super super sick. Yeah, it sounds like for the most part a bummer. Not everybody, but um, but the DMT doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, it sounds intense, but not bad. Very very intense. Yeah. Um. Well, this was super fun. I don't this usually get to gab on and on about my stupid body and all of it's, it's fascinating. I love all this kind of shit. Me it, too. I find it fascinating. Um, it. People can follow you on Instagram. Yeah, I. What's your I when I handle? went on Twitter, I came up with the handle. I want to make sure it's correct. I believe my Twitter handle is Lynn Shelton Film. Yes. And then I tried to replicate that when I finally gave in and went on Instagram, which wasn't that very, very long ago. And somebody else had created a Lynn Shelton film handle Lame. with putting my, my pictures on it. Like a few of my pictures. It was really creepy. It was you like, you can have that removed. Uh, okay. You can report I that. I know if as somebody it disappeared or maybe I tried to report it. I don't even remember. I haven't looked recently, but anyway, so I just created a new handle. So for my Instagram, the it's Lynn the Lynn Shelton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, people should follow you. you Thanks, You Steve. take great photos as well. And also check out um, Outside In on yeah. Netflix. There's no reason you should not there get, is no check reason. it out. And you should look out for Sword of Trust, which will hopefully be coming out in 2019. Just, yeah, just I'm excited. Just put a tiny little, try and put a little button on it in your brain so that yeah. when you see it coming I'm down I'm excited the about that. It's I love everybody involved so in it. so funny and sweet. Um, but yes, Outside In is out there and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty darn good. I gotta say, Edie Falco can do no wrong. J.J. Plus is great. Everybody yeah. in it is really good. And yeah. it's beautifully shot by Nate Miller and yeah, it's, um, it's a good one. I'm proud of it. Right, have well, to say. Thanks, Steve. Let's go eat some blueberries. <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, thanks, <laughs> Lynn. garlic. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. It's a good show. <laughs> <laughs>